Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good job. Good morning. How are you guys? Hey. Oh, let's hope you feel like that after we <laughs> It's great to be here. Um, I was thinking about Sherry's announcements, and uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, she mentioned baptism coming up, and, and I always like to give a plug for baptism. It gets a bad rap sometimes. And, uh, but, um, you know, a lot of you have grown up in the church, and you, uh, when, when I've asked a lot, of, especially a lot of younger people, I've asked them, hey, when did you, you know, sort of commit your life to Jesus really seriously? And they'll say, well, I don't know, I kind of grew up in the church, it's what I've always known, it's what I've always believed in, I'm not really sure I could tell you a time. And so one of the things I think is so important about baptism is baptism creates a a moment that you can always point to and say, that's the day I stood up in front of my family and my friends and my church family and I proclaimed I'm a follower of Jesus. And I went public uh, with my commitment to Christ. And so Uh, That's one of the reasons that we make such a big deal out of baptism because we feel like it creates that opportunity to go public with our faith. It's easy to say we're a Christian. It's easy to be a believer, and and, but nobody knows it, right? Uh, And um, there's that old saying, you know, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And uh, baptism says, I'm gonna stand and choose to follow Jesus. And so if you haven't been baptized before, uh, take that seriously and think about it because I think it's really important. Well, Pastor Jay was gracious enough to invite me to fill in this morning and then he was extra gracious enough to say, you don't need to worry about Hosea. Uh, just do whatever you want to do. I love that. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So I hope you guys are not hungry because I got about an hour uh, <laughs> stuff I'm, I'm anxious to share with you. No, I'm kidding, but, uh, but we are going to take a, a look at something a little bit different, and something that's, that's been uh, on my mind a little bit, because um, I don't know about you, but I have this interesting thing with my dear wife, uh, Jenna, that she uh, has always uh, seen people differently than I have, and so she will, she will see somebody, and she'll say, that person looks exactly like your nephew, uh, you know, who lives in Chicago, and I'll, nah, I don't see it. Or she'll say, well, that movie star looks exactly like this person. Did you see that? It can, just, can you see the res-? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't, uh, it, it doesn't, and I kind of feel after all these years obligated to just say, nah. In fact, I'm not even sure I really look at them anymore. I just kind of, uh, <laughs> immediate response, nah, not the same person. Well, she upped it one recently. We were watching the news, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's some political stuff going on, and, and uh, that's right, if you, if you just came out of your coma, there's been this political stuff uh, going on. But um, she, so she was watching this news conference and she said, Larry, see that politician, if he were an animal, what would he be? <laughs> I said, you're kidding me, you upped your game, nice job. But I have no idea. No, seriously, look at him. If he were, if he were an animal, what, what kind of animal would he be? I said, I really... I can't tell you. It's just a turtle. He would be a turtle. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that politician was. If you really are, you want to know badly, you can ask my wife about that. But I didn't see it. Uh, but we all have a way of seeing things in different ways, don't we? And, and one of the things that we're seeing in this whole political season is that, uh, is that people have a tendency to have an opinion 
and then they automatically just view the world through that opinion. Rather than starting by looking at everything and then forming opinion, they start with their opinion, they see life, they see the world through that lens, and we do that uh, as followers of Christ all the time. We get into that same habit that we see the world the way that we kind of want, we see the world the way that we think it ought to be, and we sort of gauge everything through that lens. And this morning, what we want to talk about is what does it mean to really see? And to get into that, we're going to go to a passage in the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, and read a little bit of a story uh, in the life of Jesus And it begins like this. If you have your Bible, Mark 8, starting in verse 22, it'll also be on the screen. It says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit um, in his eyes, he laid hands on him, and he asked him, Do you see anything? And, And he looked up, and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his uh, hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everyone clearly. And then Jesus gave him an admonition and said, uh, sent him on uh, to his home and said, don't even enter the village, but go home and rejoice with your family. Rejoice in your synagogue with your, in the, with your people. Um, but don't go in the village. It's just going to be chaos. It's why I've led you out of here. But here's, here's the story. It's a great story, and if, you, and if you look at this, there's a couple things that I think are so important. One, uh, Peter, this was probably a story that Peter dictated to Mark. Um, Peter was Mark's primary source for the Gospel of Mark, and so this is something that Peter knew was really important for us. And so he has it, he placed this narrative in a really critical spot in, in the Gospel of Mark just for us. And it begins with the, Jesus. He's, he arrives in Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida um, is, is a port city on the Sea of Galilee, and it's the place, it's the location where at one point Jesus fed 5,000 people. So you've, you've seen it, you've heard about it, you've read about it, whether you may not have remembered it. But, it. but it was a place that people knew. Jesus gets there. It's at the peak of his popularity and his ministry. People are crowding around him. They're all over him. Everybody wants to be near him, and it says that a group of people, we don't know their names, they're anonymous, which is a beautiful thing, uh, because it's not about them, but they bring their, a blind man to Jesus. And it says they begged Jesus to touch him. I, I think that's really important too, because we don't know who those people were, but we know that that man could never have gotten to Jesus by himself. He was incapable of getting to Jesus, but some friends loved him enough, some friends were passionate enough about his life uh, of wanting him to have a miracle that they brought him and then they begged Jesus to touch him. They didn't say, Jesus, heal him, but they said, Jesus, touch him because what the touch of Jesus will do is always a miracle. Well, it says Jesus spit on his hands, rubbed him together, laid his hands on the man's eyes, and then he asked him this question, which is the only place, this story, the only place it's in the the Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark. It's the only time that Jesus ever did a miracle like this. If you you read all of the miracles where Jesus healed blind people, it's always different, it's always unique, but it's always instant. This time, Jesus, Jesus lays his hands on him, and then he asks the man, can you see anything? Wow, what an interesting question. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the healer. You're the son of God. 
what an, what an awkward thing to say. Can you see anything? But Jesus is making a point. This is a, a picture that we need to see this morning. He does this miracle not only for that man that day, but for, for all of eternity, for all of centuries that follow, for all of us. And so he looks at the man, and he says, do you see anything? And the man, who apparently wasn't born blind because he knew what trees looked like, he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hand on him again, and his sight was restored. He, he saw first people like trees walk. He didn't see clearly. And I was thinking about this. I've always been intrigued with this story because I try sometimes to put myself into these gospel stories. And, and here's what I know about myself is that I, I hate to be embarrassed. I hate to stand out in a crowd. I hate to, you know, put, be put in awkward situations. And, and so if Jesus was, uh, uh, asked me a question like that, hey, what can you see? I might have just said, yeah. Because I could. You could see people like trees walking. I might have been too embarrassed to say, uh, well, yeah, but wow, Jesus, you didn't quite get it this time. I hate to break the news to you, but you're, I know you're the great healer, and, but I, don't, I'm not, I can't really see clearly yet. I, I might have been embarrassed, or I might have felt like, wow, did I, what, did I do something wrong? Did I, did I not stand right? Did I not respond right to something? Is there something wrong with me? Am I such a bad person that it, that it didn't take for me? And I'm not going to admit that to anybody, but I'll just pretend I can see okay and, and I'll go on with my life seeing people like trees walking. What if he'd have done that? He would have never received the whole miracle. He would have never received what Jesus had intended for him. And so I am so grateful that he said, yeah, I can see, but they're like trees walking. I can't see clearly yet. And Jesus touched him again and he healed him. He restored his sight. And I think this morning... What sometimes we need to see is that we don't always see clearly. We don't always see well. And sometimes we satis- we, we're satisfied with second best. Sometimes we settle for something less than clear sight. You know, just prior to this scene, Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees, which were religious leaders. And, and they were trying to get Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. And, and he had fed 4,000 people and, and there were all these miracles happening. But the, the, they said, hey, we want, you to, we want you to give a sign for us. We want you to do a miracle for us. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you know what? You have eyes, but you do not see. And you have ears, but you do not hear. That you're standing right here, but you don't really see me. You don't really know me. You've already decided who I am. You've already decided that I'm a threat to you and you're trying to do something. You're trying to do something to get rid of me. You have eyes, but you don't really see. And then after this miracle, Jesus is walking with his disciples and, and they're walking along and Jesus says to his disciples, who, who do people say that I am? And his disciples responded, well, you know, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the great prophets. And he stopped him and he looked at him and he said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you see when you stand with me? And Peter, Peter said, you're the Christ. And in the Gospel of Matthew, says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, you see Jesus, but he didn't really. Because Jesus goes on to say, well, this is what it means to see me, that I'm going to be betrayed. And, and, and I, I'm... I'm going to be beaten and scourged. And I'm going to be hung on a cross. And, and then in three days, I'm going to rise again. That's what it means to see me. And Peter pulled him aside and said, no, Lord, that'll never happen to you. Don't talk like that. Peter saw Jesus. He even had the right answer, but he didn't really see him clearly. 
how do we see clearly? How, how do we get clear sight about who Jesus is? There's three things that I want us to see this morning. I, I want us to see Jesus. I want us to see ourselves clearly. And I want us to be able to see others. That's the, that's the goal this morning. That's what we're looking for out of this text. You know, there are lots of reasons that we can't see. There are lots of things that happen in our lives that keep us from seeing. And I, I remember uh, when my, before my, my mom passed away, she had a disease in her eyes called macular degeneration. And she was going blind. And uh, it was, she loved to read. Um, you know, she, it, was, it was just a frightening and scary, scary experience for her. And, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. They would try to slow it down. Uh, and I remember in the early stages when she started to lose her sight that there was sort of a panic and anxiousness that her world was getting smaller and smaller and she just didn't know what to do with it. And, until she sort of got peace with the fact that this is the journey that the Lord had her on. But, you know, we, we, uh, we, we find ourselves with a little spiritual macular degeneration sometimes that we, we become afraid, we get anxious. Maybe our world is smaller than we thought. Maybe there are certain things that happen in our lives. There's tragedy, there's pain, um, you know, there's loss, that there's things that happen. And, and, and through that pain, through that tragedy, we don't see very clearly and we get anxious and we get afraid. And Jesus says, I want you to see me clearly. I want you to see me clearly through all of that. I want you to really know uh, what... I look like. I really want you to know what it means to see me. And so we want to take a second and get a little picture of what Jesus looked like, of who he was. I've got some pictures, in fact. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the church, there was a picture of Jesus. Some of you might recognize him. Um, There was a picture of Jesus just like that in the north X of our church. And so when I was growing up, uh, that was what I thought Jesus looked like. And uh, never occurred to me that maybe that's not a Hebrew person, but, um, but I also thought, I, I always thought that wherever Jesus must have walked, there must have been a glow around his head, right, when he was walking the earth, because that's all the pictures I saw, there was a, a glow, and I've got another picture that's a little more contemporary, uh, that's from one of the movies about Jesus, so that's another uh, idea of what some people thought that uh, Jesus looks like or thinks he does, there's another one coming up here, uh, with the crown of thorns, that's a, a, from another movie, and that's a picture of what some artist, some person uh, thinks that Jesus might look like or trying to get it, and here's another one. And that's another, you know, sort of classic one. Notice the lighting again, I love the lighting. Uh, he's carrying a staff this time, he's the Lamb of God. Uh, another picture that, that people just sort of look at and assume, okay, that's what Jesus must look like. Uh, and then I have one, I think I have one more Okay, so this is really an interesting one because some scientists decided that they were gonna take all of the evidence, all of the stuff, and they were gonna do a, a sort of a, a, you know, a digital picture of what Jesus would have really looked like. And this is what they came up with. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Here's the truth. We don't know, right? We don't exactly know what Jesus looked like. But here's what we, we do know. In, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a great story uh, about Jesus. And, and it's, uh, it's, he's depicted as a father. And there's a boy, and most, a lot of you know the story of the prodigal son. And there's a boy, and, and he comes to his dad one day, and he says, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I'd like my inheritance now. And his dad gives him his portion of his inheritance, and he goes off uh, into, in, 
this distant place and he spends his money partying and drugs and alcohol or whatever trouble you could get into uh, back then and uh, he spends all of his money and then there's a famine in the land and, and he finally finds himself feeding pigs and he's starving to death and, uh, and he's got no home and he thinks to himself that even my father's servants live better than this. Even my father's servants have enough food to eat. So I'm going to go back and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my father, and uh, Father, could I just at least be a servant in your household? Uh, can I be a hired hand here? I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I've sinned against you. He's rehearsing you know, what he's going to say to his dad when he gets there and he starts on his journey home. But what he doesn't know is that every day his dad has been going to the porch. Every day he's been looking down the road to see if maybe my son is going to come home today, maybe I'm going to see him down the road someplace. And finally, one day, he sees this figure coming down the road all by himself, uh, walking, looking lost, looking hungry, uh, you know, a mess. And he see, recognizes that that's his son. And the scripture tells us in Luke 15 that he starts running. And he runs down and he meets his son. And when he sees him, he throws his arms around him. And he calls to his servants and he says, bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and bring a new robe for him that my son that was lost has been found. And that's how Jesus saw him. He didn't treat him the way the boy deserved. He, uh, he, he didn't... He didn't uh, correct him. He, he didn't yell at him. He wasn't angry at him. He said, my son that was lost is found, and he embraced him, and he brought him back into the family, and that's Jesus. That's a picture of Jesus. And there are people that are around today that feel like I was such a bad person. I was so terrible. I did so many bad things that how could God love me? How could Jesus welcome me back? But that's the story of the prodigal son. That's the story of the loving father that he is ready to embrace us. He is ready to bring us back into the family. He's ready to put a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet and a cloak around our shoulders that he loves us that much. He gave himself for us for that reason. And that's what Jesus looks like. That's what Jesus looks like. Well, there's another picture of Jesus that I love. It's in the Old Testament. And it's in Isaiah, the sixth chapter. And beginning the first verse, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You get this picture? Jesus, the, the Lord, is high and lifted up. He's seated on the throne and a throne and a train of his robe fills the whole temple and above him there were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now sometimes Jenna tells me that I don't speak loud enough that I'm a little too reserved in circumstances and this would be one of them because here's what happens. Here's what Isaiah tells us. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke that they were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they were doing it with such power and such awe and such love that the whole temple shook and there, were, there was smoke in the room that everything was starting to shake. And Isaiah sees this, he experiences this, he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he becomes undone. He says, woe is me. He falls to his knees. He says, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. When I see myself next to the God of the universe, I realize 
oh my goodness, I'm in deep trouble here. I don't compare. I don't belong. His greatness is overwhelming. So imagine this, we have Jesus. He is the Father who welcomes us back. He puts a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet and a cloak around our shoulders, but he is also the God of the universe. His majesty is greater than we can imagine. The train of his robe fills the whole temple. When the angels call worship to him, when they say, holy, 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 the whole earth shakes with his power, with his majesty and his glory. That's another picture of what Jesus looks like. You start to get an idea that he is bigger and greater than we ever imagined. If we really want to see Jesus, we have to see all of him. The Father who loves us, who welcomes us home, and the God of the universe who created all things and is greater and more powerful than we can ever imagine, that we could ever comprehend. And then there's one more. There's one more picture of Jesus that I just love. And that that comes in John, the 20th chapter. And it's after the crucifixion. It's the morning of the resurrection. Jesus is risen. And Mary, we're assuming Mary Magdalene, goes to the tomb. And it says that she, she looks in the tomb and Jesus isn't there. And she's overwhelmed. She's grieving that that Jesus, the one she gave her life to, the one she deserted everything else for, the one that she thought for sure was the Messiah, he's been killed, he's been crucified, and now he's not in the tomb, and she has no idea where he's put he's been put and she looks in the tomb and there's two angels and she and they ask her, What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And she said, I I, I I'm looking for Jesus and they've taken him and I don't know where he is. And then in the garden there's a voice. <laughs> and that, that voice says to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she thought the man asking her must be the gardener. She said, sir, they've carried him away. Tell me where you have put him, and I will take him away. <laughs> she's so, she's grieving so deeply. Her tears are flowing so strongly that Jesus is in her very presence and she doesn't recognize him, she doesn't see him. And I think sometimes our grief is so deep and our pain is so real in our lives that Jesus is right there and we don't see him. We can't clear enough the obstacles away to really see who he is. So what does Jesus do? He uses one word. He said, Mary. He called her by name. And he just gently says, Mary. And all of a sudden, she knew that voice. She knew it was Jesus. And Jesus didn't give her a lecture on having no faith. And Jesus didn't get a le- give her a lecture on, hey, don't you remember I told you I was going to be risen in three days? And you know, why, why are you here crying? What, you know, what's wrong with you? He just simply said, Mary. Ah. There was so much love. There was so much acceptance. That was so real. And that is the Jesus that calls each of us by name. He knows our name. He knows everything about us. And still, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrow, even our anger, even our rebellion, he calls us by name. That's what Jesus looks like. He's the Father who welcomes us home. He is the majestic, the great, the Lord of the universe. 
He is bigger and more powerful and greater than we could ever imagine, and yet he's the one who calls us by name, who loves us that much. Is that the Jesus that you see? Is that the Jesus that you want to know? The Jesus that you've experienced? Sometimes, sometimes circumstances, sometimes things get in the way and we need to have our view. We need to have our sight cleared up. We need to see Jesus really for who he is. There's another passage that I think is important for us. It's 2 Peter 1, and this is, the again, the Apostle Peter talking, and he says that Jesus and his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given us everything that we need for a godly life and uh, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Not by our glory and goodness, but he's called us by his glory and his goodness and his love and his power. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then he goes on to say, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. So here's what Peter wants us to understand. He says, when you see Jesus, when you really see him for who he is, he's given you everything that you need to live that life. He's given you everything that you need to keep that focus of who he is. And so we need to organize our lives around those promises. We need to organize our lives around those truths until he says, add to your faith knowledge. Get to know him. Grow in your relationship to him. He goes on to say, add to that knowledge self-control. Make the right decisions. Make good decisions. Add to that perseverance. Uh, do, continue to do that over and over again. Make those the habits of your life, the things that honor the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that you see. And then he says, add to that mutual affection, care for each other, and then to that love. Because, he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you're growing in your faith in Christ, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their own past sins. Whoever does not do that, whoever does not organize their lives around that, whoever keeps their eyes focused on Jesus, they'll become nearsighted or blind, and none of us want to live our lives that way. None of us want to live our lives seeing people as trees walking, seeing but not really seeing clearly. So he says, organize your lives around those things. I like another way it was put. Helen Keller, if you don't remember Helen Keller, sit next to somebody that's 50 and over, and they'll tell you who she was. But she was uh, blind and dumb, couldn't speak, but had this miraculous, wonderful life. And she said one time that she would rather remain blind than have sight without vision. She'd rather remain blind than have sight without vision. She, she'd rather not see at all in the life that she has than to just see but not really see. And we settle for second best sometimes. We settle for so much less that, that we see Jesus and we see a, a part of Jesus, but we see him like trees walking. We don't really look at him. We don't really see him because we haven't done what it takes. We haven't organized our lives around what it means to really see all of Jesus, the Father who loves us, the great majestic God, the one who calls us by name. 
That's the Jesus that we need to see. And then that affects everything else in our lives. When we begin to see Jesus, there's another verse that, that I like. It's, how, it's about how we see ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and then one of my favorite words is, behold, look, pay attention, this is big. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, and you know what's awesome is that the new has come that you're a new creation. How do we see ourselves in Christ? As a new creation. The old has passed away. The old sin, the old fears, uh, the, the old disappointments are passed away. And how I see myself is one who has been created new in Christ Jesus. I belong to him. His spirit has come to take residence in my life. He is transforming me from the inside out. Everything is new. Everything is clean. I have an opportunity to be a new creation through him. That's how I see myself. That's how you see yourself. That's what Christ intended us to do. We see Jesus, and then we see ourselves, <laughs> and then we, uh, we see others. And here's a, here's a verse for us. John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh my goodness. Do you know what that means? Who all who received him, all. That's a really big word, isn't it? That's not most, that's not some, that's all. To all received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. That if somebody belongs to Jesus, they are one of his children. And they may be on a far, far different political spectrum than we are. They may be in a far, far different social economic place than we are. They may be in a country that's far, far away from where we are but with their children of God. And how do I see other people? I see people as children of God. And if they're a child of God and I'm a child of God, then they're family. And I can't just sit back when some of the family is struggling. I can't sit back when some of the family is hurting because that's family. I need to respond. I need to do something. I, I need to be engaged because they're family. And I see them differently because I see them through who Christ is and who his Christ has made me. I'm a new creation through him. They're a child. We're all children of God. We're in the family and I need to be part of that family. I need to do something. I can't sit by. So how's your eyesight this morning? How are you seeing? Life happens. We get distracted. Things get in the way. Obstacles block our, our view. And sometimes it's important to clear it away. Sometimes it's important to take a fresh look at who Christ is. So this morning, how you see yourself and others is gonna tell you a lot about how you see Jesus. If you're really struggling to see yourself as a new creation, if you're really struggling to see others as a child of Christ, a child of God, then maybe the, maybe the starting point isn't, I'm gonna change the way I look at other people, but it's to change the way you see Jesus. Maybe your view of Jesus has gotten distorted. Maybe it's gotten blurry. Maybe you don't see him clearly anymore. And it's time to do a little vision correction. It's time to change. It's time to take a bigger look 
at who Jesus is. And so this morning, what if we admitted to Jesus that we aren't seeing very well? What, what if we were honest about how we see him and ourselves and others? And what if we asked Jesus to touch us again? What do you think Jesus would say to you? I don't think he would scold you. I don't think he would turn you away. I think he calls us by name and he welcomes us home. That's what Jesus wants this morning. He wants to touch us again. He wants to clear up our sight. He wants to remind us of who he really is, what he really looks like. The father who's been waiting for us, who welcomes us home. The great, the grand, the majestic, the powerful God of the universe who created everything. And then the one who in love calls us by name. I'm gonna pray um, and then the band's gonna come up and we're gonna have an opportunity for response and, and our prayer partners will c- come to the side. And So he- here's what I wanna encourage you with this morning is simply this, that don't be that one that's so embarrassed to admit that you see people as trees walking that you don't ask for help. Don't walk out of here feeling like, well, that's too embarrassing. I, I could never admit that I could never ask for help with that. And then we just go on through our lives not really seeing who Jesus is. But take advantage of an opportunity for prayer, uh, or you can sit in your chair and just think and talk to the Lord, but take advantage of that opportunity to ask the Lord to touch you again. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder, Lord, that that you want us to see clearly, that you put this story in here for us, Lord, because we sometimes settle for second best and and we don't see you clearly, and and yet, Lord, we don't often take the time to, to really wonder why, what happened? What happened to my sight? And, Lord, we might live in fear or we might live in pain or we might live with guilt, and yet, Lord, you have called us your child And you have made us a new creation and we can rest in that. We can have joy and peace in that, Lord. So I ask this morning that that you would touch our eyes, that we might see you more clearly, that we might see ourselves as you see us and we might see others as children of God. And then, Lord, we will be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, We'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. You know, um... When I take off my glasses, I can still see you. Uh, I might even recognize you if I already knew you uh, really well, because I can, I can still uh, see a little bit, and uh, um, I have to use a lot bigger fonts if I didn't have my glasses, and you might not want to drive close to me, but I could, probably, I could probably live a pretty reasonable life without my glasses if I really had to. But when I put them on, it's amazing. Everything clears up, everything sharpens. I see so differently. And why, why would I ever choose to live without my glasses when I can see so much better when I put them on? 
And why would any of us choose to not see Jesus more clearly? Why would we settle for second best when we don't really need to, when he offers us this gift of seeing him clearly? And and don't be embarrassed about it, but, but recognize that that's who we are, that Christ welcomes us. He desires for us to see him clearly. You know, North uh, is really organized around seeing Jesus and seeing ourselves and seeing others more clearly. That uh, there's a Tuesday morning women's Bible study and there's a Thursday morning men's Bible study and there are community groups and there's all kinds of prayer meetings. There's all kinds of opportunities here for you to be exposed to who Jesus is, to see him more clearly, to be with other people, to have opportunities to recognize who they are. They're children of God. And I would encourage you that don't settle for second best, but take advantage of those opportunities to keep your eyes focused on Christ, to see him clearly. And now may the peace of Christ be with you and may he go with you And may you see him more clearly, more beautifully, and more powerfully than you've ever seen him before. Amen. Love you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.